0: A COVID story, insight into a farm creating a new business that uses its own cotton, and just what is it like to spend a day with Orion Samuelson? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director from Farm Progress. We're wrapping up the year talking with some Farm Progress editors about some of their favorite or most important stories for 2020. We start off with Chris Torres, an American agriculturist who shares the story of a young farmer who got, suffered, and survived COVID and what that has meant for him and his family. Then we talk with John Hart with Southeast Farm Press about a farm family that weathered a challenge with their newborn son several years ago that inspired a new business idea for the family. They're turning some of their cotton into quality products. And we finish with Holly Spangler from Prairie Farmer with her deep profile of Orion Samuelson, who is retiring from WGN and moving on to other ventures. She shares some of what she learned, including what it's like to spend quality time with Orion. First up, let's check in with Chris Torres. Well, Chris, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Hey, Willie, how you doing today? I'm hanging in. It's, uh, you know, the, the rush of the holidays, I guess, is the best answer to put up there. But uh, this week on the podcast, of course, we're kind of looking back at 2020 and we're actually starting this with you because the thing hanging over all of us this year has been the pandemic. And you got a personal look at how the pandemic actually impacted a single person, right?
1: Yeah. So um, I had a discussion with a guy, a dairy farmer from Cassville, New York, and, and his name is Travis Duffy. And he has a remarkable. He had a remarkable story. So way back in April, um, the first week of April, he wasn't feeling very good, and uh, and he thought that maybe it was just a cold or something like that or whatever, just like most of us think. Before you know, it, and considering that that was the early days of the COVID pandemic, he really didn't think anything of it. So he went to he went to the hospital. He went to an urgent care and got tested for the flu. Got tested for. Um, got tested for COVID-19, of course. Within a day, he got a fever of 104 degrees and, uh, and he was back in the hospital, wasn't feeling well. Thank goodness, he, he knew a nurse who worked in a local hospital which is near Syracuse. Within 12 hours of getting within 12 hours of going back to the hospital and finally getting his COVID-19 test, which came back positive, he was developing symptoms of sepsis, and he was put on a ventilator. That's how quick COVID-19 took over his body, and that's how quick he was uh, he was admitted into the hospital. And what's really interesting about this is that at the time, and this may have changed, but at the time, the statistics weren't very good for somebody that was put on a ventilator. I believe it was it was doing some research, and I believe at that time, early April, it was, there was only a 10% chance of somebody being put in a ventilator to actually come out of it alive. So his, his chance of actually living was very very low Um, and what happened to Travis was really interesting he was put on that ventilator and he actually was unconscious for a couple weeks for two weeks if we fast forward to April 15th um, he got an injection of something called convalescent plasma um, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of what convalescent plasma is and um, you know essentially what they're doing is they're taking plasma from somebody's blood who has antibodies um, that can that can fight COVID nineteen and they inject it into somebody else. I know that's very very simple and I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's the way I understand it.
0: Actually, you're not wrong. In the fact, convalescent plasma is exactly that. They find yeah. people
1: that have been infected
0: and you know they have they verify they have the antibodies. And then what they do is purify that and they inject it and it has been it is not a new technique. It is a technique that's been around for
1: quite a while and they and it's been something used in emergencies in the past. Absolutely right. So anyway, he got the injection of convalescent plasma and uh, and thank goodness, you know, his numbers started to turn around and he started to get better. Um, he stayed unconscious for a little while longer and he finally started to come around by the end of April. And he was finally discharged from the hospital on May 7th. And I remember that very well because the local TV stations actually went to the hospital. Um, they, they videotaped him coming out, you know, that, that whole if you, if you see a lot of these news reports now, we've seen them time and time again. When somebody's actually um, discharged from a hospital, you see that line of nurses and, nurses and doctors lined up, and they're giving them a hand and all that sort of thing. And What was really interesting about this – they did the same thing with Travis – but what was really interesting about this was that Travis has an eight-year-old daughter who is extremely close with him, and the eight-year-old daughter was very, very worried about it and everything. Mm-hmm. But what was really heart-wrenching about this is that he just had a newborn son. A couple of days before he was discharged. So he was able to come home and and spend time with his newborn son. and that was really that was really something else. and 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 it turned out to be a great ending for him. But let's think about this. Travis is only thirty nine years old. No underlying health conditions, nothing. And he got this, you know, he still to this day does not know how he actually got this. Um, he works on a pretty large dairy up there in Cassville, New York, so he could have gotten it from anybody on the dairy or he could have gotten it from anywhere else. And, um, you know, it, thank goodness this this turned out with a happy ending because, you know, a lot of these cases, especially early on, did not have a happy ending. And he was very, very lucky. And, you know, and, and what's interesting about this is that I think that he he was one of those and I was one of those even in the beginning that was very skeptical about this whole thing. And unfortunately, you know, to this day, there's a lot of people who are really skeptical of how serious this disease actually is. This changed his life. This changed his life. And this changed his outlook on how serious this thing was, especially back in those days. Now, it's changed a little bit now because we have some medications that can really deal with it. And, you know, of course, the vaccines are coming out. But at that time, it really changed his life. And, um, you know, thank goodness it came out. Thank goodness his story came out with a good ending because, uh, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people, it did not. So how, how did it change his life? I
0: mean, you know, you're in a coma for a month, basically. How did it mm-hmm. change his life?
1: Well, I think it changed his life in a couple of ways. And I was talking to him and he said, you know, obviously it, it changes your life from you start thinking about things, you know, in a totally different way. A lot of things that you, you think you'd make a big deal out of. You know, you're not making a big deal out of, you know, just like simple things, the little Mm -hmm. things in life. You know, I think he's gotten to appreciate it more. Um, You know, I I think that it changed his perspective on this disease. You know, he will tell you first off that that he was one of the ones that was very skeptical about this whole thing in terms of wearing masks, in terms, you know, how serious this can actually be. It's amazing how somebody will change their mind when something like that happens to them, you know, and it was he was literally on the edge of dying. And I think having that experience, you know, unfortunately having that experience, you know, um, changed his mind about this whole entire thing and changed his mind about how serious this disease can actually be. And I think that that's the one thing that really stood with him, Um, you know, and the fact that he's just so young, like I said, 39 years old, no Mm -hmm. underlying health conditions, you know, I mean, we've been told from the beginning that this is more of a – old person's disease that only affects people who are older or people who have diabetes or health conditions or whatever, and here's a guy that, that's perfectly healthy and, like I said, young, and it just it almost killed him. We're still learning about the disease. I just saw a recent report that looked
0: at some of the potential genetic links to how Mm -hmm. it impacts people. And I think that we're still, you know what, a lot of people who are even skeptics, uh, they're just about, well, this is not this and this is not that. Well, we don't know. The thing's only a year old. I mean, really, how how much can you learn about a virus? It took us years to understand uh, SARS and it took us years to understand Ebola or HIV AIDS. I mean, we look at the different viruses that are out there and what we can do. Um, the good news, like you say, we aren't putting people on ventilators as much now, but we are still filling the hospitals. Absolutely. So that's probably the biggest challenge. I mean, I get this playback. Well, the death rate's low. OK, mm-hmm. that's true. true. But the other side of it is it's still filling hospitals and it is hitting people different ages. There's no impact. I mean, I have people that are not impacted at all. They basically lose their sense of taste and smell for a week and then they're fine. Not even a fever, but they've had it. And then you have people that go in the hospital and have to get remdesivir. I mean, it's just a crazy disease. I'm glad that Travis's story turned out. I think that's really good. It's one of the good news stories that you were able to tell in 2020. Well, Chris Torres, great to hear the story of Travis Duffy, his journey, and how it changed him and his perspective. We look forward to talking to you in 2021 as things arise in the Northeast. And uh, you have an excellent holiday. Hey, You too, Willie. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. COVID is a frustrating disease that has baffled, angered, and challenged many. Thanks to Chris Torres for sharing his perspective on what he learned in telling his story about Travis Duffy. Next up, we talk about a cotton-based, web-only business that has an interesting start. John Hart with Southeast Farm Press shares the story of Ty and Tracy Woodard and what led them to start the business. So, John Hart, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Uh, Good to talk to you today.
2: Well, thank you, Willie, and looking forward to visiting with you.
0: We're talking about some of our favorite stories from 2020. And you have a, an interesting story, I think, of a family, a South Carolina family, and something that happened to them and then something that resulted from it. Why don't you walk us through what that is?
2: Sure, exactly. Yeah. It, the family is uh, Ty and Tracy Wooder. They're cotton and peanut farmers in Darlington, South Carolina. And actually, five years ago, right around Christmas, their newborn son, uh, Tobin, was in the hospital. With spinal meningitis and unfortunately the disease got worse and the day before christmas eve he needed an emergency surgery fortunately an <laughs> answer to prayer to everybody uh, the surgery went well he got out of it and was released from the hospital but during the time in the hospital the, the family received a nice cotton blanket from the nurse and that really hit home with them and it sort of sparked an idea with tracy woodard to start her own cotton blanket business so that happened 2 years later she decided to well she decided to launch a, a cotton blanket business because of that kind gesture from the nurse so 2 years later in 2017 they launched Covered in Cotton which they make their own cotton towels, cotton throws, cotton blankets all from the cotton they grow right on their own farm so it's a very successful business and turns out that you know Tobin's doing well he's 5 years old perfectly healthy and the good news is the business is really growing, growing strong. And I guess the main takeaway is that it shows that textile products can still be made in the United States, because basically well, that, was they, be, you know, that was
0: going to be, you know, going to be my exactly. next question because right. there's no textile capacity in the United States. So where did they turn to uh, take their cotton from the gin to the mill? What did they do?
2: Well, actually, there still are a few companies that still in business, fortunately, right okay. around. Not 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 many, but there are a few. Actually, right at a hundred and fifty mile radius from their farm so they have they have the, they have mills and they have sewers and people who can make the products so it's so that it is all made in the u s and that's 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 a success story it it's all say homegrown and you know,
0: homemade. well that's fantastic i mean to, i mean that would have stopped me at first i mean so she had to, Tracy had to go out and find these mills and talk to them. I wonder what their first reaction was when she said, ah, I, I'm a cotton grower and I want to use my cotton and make something. I wonder what those textile mills thought. Oh, of. actually, no,
2: they were very supportive of it. They, they thought it was a great idea because they they heard the story and they, they were just very supportive. It, it, just, it just worked out very well.
0: Well, that's fantastic. I mean, when you think about that, it's, there's so much of the textile industry has left this country to know that there are still places out there where a, uh in, enterprising cotton producer could maybe make something a business out of it is fantastic um so do they sell in retail or are they selling only online how does that business actually, work?
2: It's, actually it's all online it's their website is covered in and it's basically all online it's, that's how it works it's all driven to their website and it's a very just a very very family-run business she has one helper and her and they kind of do it all all from the farm
0: so uh, yes, that's interesting. So towels are often relatively inexpensive, and I know they're made elsewhere. Does um, she getting a good following of people that are just saying, you know, this really matters to me, and I want to use U.S. cotton, or what do you think the customer? Oh, that's is?
2: exactly right. And and their website does a good job of telling their story about their about their family and about the, the ordeal they went through and the good news. So yeah, that they said the story basically drives the sales so it does work well for them and people really are supportive of buying a locally grown locally made product so that's that's their strong selling point
0: we know there's nothing better than a good cotton towel you know that as well as <laughs> exactly I do. exactly right so cotton, uh, towels, uh,
2: cotton baby blankets and yeah. and it's all all natural they have no dyes it's all natural cotton colored and they and they're very very popular with consumers
0: that's an interesting side story they're conventional cotton producers right
2: they are exactly, yeah, and they, they are conventional cotton producers, and they implement they put a small amount of their cotton in for the for the towels of blankets, of course, but yeah, they are, and they're very very successful farmers as well. They they do very well.
0: I guess what I'm going with is often you you said the consumer is happy, they're not concerned that it's GMO cotton.
2: Actually, uh, they're not, they're not. That that, that's, that hasn't come up yet. So that's that's, that's been well, good news for them.
0: I actually have news as to why, which I think some people listening to this might find interesting. I've had several stories in the last few years, a beef producer in Florida, this story, a few others that have come up. And it turns out that the consumer is more concerned about knowing the story of the product from the person who makes it, the farmer, than some of the tech about how it was made. In other words, they trust Tracy, the Witter family, that what they're raising is something they trust and based on that trust in the farmer the consumer buys the product the same happened with a florida beet producer a friend of mine down in florida several beet producers got together right. uh, because some young ladies came to them and said hey we'd like to know where our stuff comes from and based on that they were they said we don't care how you raise it per se we know you do a good job but they're not worried about the you know, the implants or anything like that, they just say, we just want to know we're, to get, we're buying something from someone we trust. And I think that farmer trust is a pretty powerful tool.
2: Well, that's exactly how it works for the Woodards because they really have earned the farmer trust. And it turns out they have customers, they said in all 50 states, as far as and overseas countries as well. So the trust factor has been, <laughs> been a huge role in their success because they're, you know, a family, a family operation and they have a, a great story to tell. I mean, who, who wouldn't support that?
0: That's absolutely right. And I think that's really what, get, what it gets down to is a quality product, well-made, and something they can trust. It's all really, really good. Well, that was a fun story, John. I think that uh, you probably had a little fun telling that story, visiting with them. And, I
2: sure did. Oh, yeah, enjoyed it very much. You know, I've heard about them for a long time, so it was really nice to, to hear their story and to uh, see how they're successful with what they're doing.
0: It's always good to see a picture of a family holding towels in the middle of a cotton field. Exactly right. (laughs) Which is (laughs) the the photo that you used with the story. That's fantastic. Well, John Hart, it's been good to talk to you uh, with Southeast Farm Press. Uh, You take care, sir, and keep up the good work. And uh, thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you, Willie.
2: I do appreciate it.
0: We wish the Woodards luck with their business and thank John Hart for his story in 2020 and sharing his insights with us. We wrap up the podcast visiting with Holly Spangler, who got to do with many farmers and ag journalists might enjoy spending a little quality time talking with Orion Samuelson. Holly shares what that's like. Well, Holly, uh, welcome to Around Farm Progress.
3: Thanks, Willie. It's fun to be here.
0: It is. It's uh, fun. It's fun at the end of the year to talk about some of our favorite stories and stories that made an impact on us. But you got to do something I think a lot of us would like to do. You got to spend some quality time with somebody a lot of us respect in our industry, Orion Samuelson, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty fantastic. Um, You know, you and I talked earlier in the fall, you know, when it was announced that he was going to retire from WGN, you know, at the end of the year. And, um, you know, kind of that idea like, hey, I wonder if I could get an interview because he's a big deal. You know, it, he's a big deal in U.S. agriculture. He's a big deal in in Illinois agriculture, too, right? Because, you know, of broadcasting from Chicago, there are so many farm families that have listened to him for decades. You know, he was the voice of, of, of their lunch or their dinner or whatever you want to call it, but that noontime. And. You know, the voice in the in the in the kitchen, but in the tractor or the or the pickup or out in the milking parlor or whatever it is. So just felt like this would be a really cool, feel good story, you know, for the end of the year.
0: Well, yeah, and it's exciting to get with somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, he's become such an icon in Illinois, even though he is from Wisconsin. Um,
3: (laughs) (laughs) We love him anyway. We
0: we all do. It's pretty (laughs) funny. But but, you know, to spend that kind of time and you spent a big chunk of a day with, with Orion. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. What's, what's that like? What's it like just to be with Orion for a while? Yeah. I mean.
3: Well, I mean, you just never know what to expect, right? Because you think, okay, well, and, and I've of course known Orion for, for a lot of years as you have, and i been around him in, in professional, you know, settings here and there and, um, events at U of I and that kind of thing. But like, you know, I was going to his home studio, which is in his home, you know, which, <laughs> <laughs> it was really, um, I don't know, personal, I guess. And it was just really, it was really neat. They're, they're the nicest people, Orion and, and Gloria. Gloria's definitely his his right-hand person um, and, and has been for a long time. Um, and, of course, Max Armstrong set this all up for me and, you know, got me in touch with, with Gloria, who I think does a lot of that kind of scheduling and stuff for him. Um, and so it just it worked out really nicely. But it was just a nice day, you know, in terms of, of getting there. And, and, and he was on air, I think, when I went in. So we went in very quietly. And Gloria let me in and, and just as gracious, gracious as she can be. And, um, you know, when he was done giving his, you know, business and agriculture report, and we just sat down and got to talk in his office. Uh,
0: he he gives you uh, his – I've had some social time with Orion myself. I've been lucky for that as well as working with him professionally just to sit and talk. Yeah. But he's as much about questioning you as you are about questioning him. How did that go?
3: <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was good. He wanted to know – I mean, that was in early November. So he wanted to know right. how harvest had gone and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, he's as plugged in as anybody. You know, you might think, you know, they're the suburbs of Chicago or whatever, you know, but, gosh, he – he knows as much as any of us out here do. So I thought that was that was fascinating. And, and still, right, like, <laughs> um, you know, he's 86 and just as sharp as he can be and, and, and is and sounds the same as he's always sounded. You know, uh, when he's on the radio, it just I was just in awe, just listening to him and just cool to look around his office. Um, You know, we're going to have a, a kind of a final wrap up photo gallery uh, next week on the day he retires on the 31st. And, you know, just to uh, just kind of shows his office. Right. And, and like there were so many cool mementos on the walls, you know, pictures with presidents and letters from presidents and, you know, his honor, honorary degree from the University of Illinois that he's so proud of. And just really, really a cool, um, gosh, I don't know, monument <laughs> to his life yeah. and his work.
0: And he's an honorary master farmer, too, isn't he? I mean, he's he got quite a few honorary degrees and rec- yep. recognition. It, you know it's interesting for someone like that who, yes, he came from the uh, you know know this the humble beginnings of Orion, and it's a great story, but here's a guy that it wasn't happenstance. He wanted to be a broadcaster. he Pushed ahead with that. He had the wherewithal to stick to it. Right. I mean, it's not like, you know, right. some people go, he just fell into it because of that voice. Well, that was part of it. Right. But that's not how it happened. Right.
3: Right. No, not at all. I mean, he he knew what he wanted to do and he and he pursued it. And, and of course, you know, I think he started out at the University of Wisconsin and realized, hey, this is not teaching me to be a broadcaster. And that's what I really want to do. You know, and switched over to a it was a it was a program in Minneapolis, American Institute of the Air. Uh, kind of a six-month broadcasting program. Yeah. He went there and got the skills he needed, and he went to work and 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 has never looked back. So, but you're right. It's, it's something. I mean, a lot of people have a good voice, right? Right. Um, but man, he's taken this amazing voice and and turned it into something else entirely, right? <laughs> Generations of of people recognize and 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 trust.
0: Well, he and and I think the thing is he he, uh, you know, you talk to people today, and there's so many people that aren't doing what they thought they were going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they're not in the career they thought they were, but Orion always knew he wanted to be a broadcaster, maybe because he sounded like this since he was 14. No one really knows. (laughs) But it's like he's a good friend. And I think the thing to me that gets me is that there was a drive and a focus and he got what he went to what he do, what he wanted, and then he went for it. And then it's paid off so well for all of us in his dedication to agriculture.
3: Right. Right. For sure. Yeah, I loved. He told the story, you know, and when he was in high school in, in FFA, I believe, um, you know, being in a public speaking contest, and you know, won the section, and then he um, went to state and placed second. And I thought, what in the world? Like, <laughs> who, who beat him, and, and where did that person end up? <laughs> it's hard to imagine, you know, somebody getting past what what he's done here. So.
0: That's pretty funny, because that kid was probably bragging for a while. <laughs> but <laughs> I beat Orion Samuelson in a debate. So <laughs> that's, exactly. that's not something. But, and I think that's really cool. So when you're sitting with them and you had a little time to reflect, because it's been a, while, a few weeks since you've been there, anything that stands out to you as someone who's been a longtime listener, as they sometimes say, of Orion, and mm-hmm. also all of our professional association with him through the Farm Progress show and the work that we've done at Farm Progress, anything that still stands out? to you that really uh, maybe surprised you
3: you know i think what surprised me and, and and i say this it surprised me and yet it didn't but he's mm-hmm. just such a gracious kind person you know and that's that's why he's where he is i think um and and certainly smart and savvy and all those kinds of things but just a gracious kind person who's interested in people you know, he was as interested in, in me and what I do and my family as, as I was in him and I was writing about him. <laughs> so, you know, we get to go out to lunch afterwards and it was just a lovely fall day. It's kind of one of those days I look back on and think, you know, like that's going to stand out <laughs> in my career for a really long time um, just because of he, he was who we think he is. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's he's just just a, a kind, good person.
0: Yeah, there's no artifice about Orion Samuelson. Mm-hmm. He is, right. you, you say, well, the first time I met him, I was uh, working a PR account in, in a regional National Association of Farm Broadcaster meeting somewhere out west. And he was there as a guest speaker at an AFB mm-hmm. for the region to be there. And I had already known the voice from US mm-hmm. Farm Report a million years ago. And so I was kind of in a different place in my head about him because I didn't know him that well. And I wasn't. Doing what I'm doing now at Farm Progress, and uh, I was quite enamored back then. But what a kind person! Even then, you could tell this is a, a person who cares about all the people around him and wants everybody seem to want everybody to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the thing that people forget, and it's what people forget about a lot of things. He was the voice of agriculture
2: mm-hmm.
0: on a Chicago radio station. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I enjoy what Samuelson says on this week in agribusiness is when he takes letters. And answers letters from people who don't understand agriculture. Mm-hmm. And I think he does the same thing on the air at WGN. And it's like, that's where we need that voice, right? Mm-hmm. We need that voice on WGN. We don't need that voice um, in the same way uh, in our jobs. Because we talk to farmers and we all speak the same language. But yeah, I think that... His work in bringing agriculture to people who don't understand agriculture and food mm-hmm. may be every bit as important as anything. And he always took that as an important charge for his business.
3: For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's the other thing that stood out from our interview was just, you know, you just talked about the different ways, you know, if he if he was giving a you know market report on, on pork bellies, well, that's an opportunity to explain where that comes from <laughs> and explain mm-hmm. what it takes to feed hogs and, and to raise hogs and to deal with weather and whatever. Like he took every opportunity, you know, to explain a little more about agriculture. And that's the thing, like, I think, you know, even ask him, I said, you know, he and he and Max, you know, have been on this, this radio station straight out of downtown Chicago for all right. these years. And they're just a couple of farm boys, right? Like, how does that happen? <laughs> and, and, and just the work that they've done, both of them, you know, to, to tell Ag's story, in Chicago is tremendous. And and I think a lot of people underestimate that sort of in this time when we talk about being agriculture advocates, um, man, they were they were the originals.
0: Oh, yeah, I think they carved that up. That was their that was their space. Um, <laughs> you know, with Orient, back, of course, back in the beginning, when Orient started at WGN, agriculture was a bigger deal in Chicago. Mm-hmm. um hog butcher mm-hmm. of the world was meant something back then <laughs> you know it's like yeah. it doesn't mean the same today but the board of trade cme uh, is all still there and so that uh chicago remains an agricultural mecca and center for um uh, the wallets of most of the people listening to this podcast mm-hmm. uh, your, your price of corn and soybeans is set there and i think that was the one link that he was always able to make and he mm-hmm. did interviews with some of those leaders in agriculture um how I lost track. How many secretaries of agriculture did Orion interview?
3: I think it was 19. Um, Wow. I believe that. 19 and eight presidents.
0: Wow. Yeah, That's fantastic. And
3: and 44 countries.
0: That's uh, (laughs) quite a record, actually. Well, good. Well, Holly, I appreciate your time. And I think that uh, maybe you had a better time than most of us on this story because (laughs) you got to do it and be a part of this important period in the life of uh, American agricultural journalism um, as someone moves on to another phase. But I appreciate that. So is Orion going to he's leaving WGN? Is he he's not disappearing, though, right? He's going to be a little little around.
3: I think that was the first thing he told me. He was retiring from WGN, but not from everything else. (laughs) So he still hopes to be around and do things and you know still do work at the Illinois State Fair you know Good. for the of Champions he's seed that for ever you know yep. Yep. and um yeah I think he I think he still plans to do as much as he can
0: I think so I think what'll happen is he's entering the next phase of his career that's how we like to call that right that's right. what I it's hope to do
3: It's a different season
0: well Holly, thanks very much for your time and for sharing that uh, insight and personal look at uh, Orion Samuelson. Um we will have a link to the first story in your series so that people can see all the stories and what you did. And then I encourage people listening to this to make sure they check out prairiefarmer.com on Thursday the 31st for a look inside Orion Samuelson Samuelson's sanctum sanctorum, his office. What do you think?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Take care. Thanks thanks Absolutely. a
3: lot. Thank you. We're
0: moving on from 2020, but thanks to Chris Torres, John Hart, and Holly Spangler for their work and insight through the year. I look forward to working with all of them in 2021. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team and experts in our industry. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress Virtual Experience. If you didn't tune in to the premiere of the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, you can still visit the site to see more. Just visit huskerharvestdays.com for a direct connection to the virtual event. And while it's rich with field demonstration content, I would also recommend checking out the trade show experience where you can search hundreds of exhibitors by name or by specific product category. Join us next week as we continue our look at some of our favorite stories from 2020. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.